0: My brothers and sisters in jesus christ it's a pleasure to be here this morning to share the, uh, a message a wonderful message with you and also to for us to be able to explore a little more about another one of the churches in revelation so i want to thank um before i begin i really want to thank Michaeli for that wonderful um introduction as well. I thank you so much for that. Thank you to the AV team because the AV team, they have been giving up their time and service and, you know, for us to be able to enjoy all of these different series that we have been enjoying since um, COVID began. Alright, so really a a big shout out to the AV team as well and to you who are logged on right now on the World Wide Web, uh, special and happy sabbath to you as well so i trust that you would enjoy this message and that you would learn something that would you can use for not just today but the rest of your lives okay so let's pray as we begin heavenly father we are so grateful to thee for your love and your mercy towards us in that while we were yet sinners you died for us we pray that as we go into this message, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak, not mine, but yours. And pray that those who are listening, it, their ears will be receptive to what you have to say. This is my prayer in your name. Amen. Alright, so we are going to be talking about Pergamos today. And of course, you saw a little introduction uh, before about Pergamos. And I've entitled this particular sermon, you are compromised. You are compromised. Now, you're probably wondering, what is it? what in the world Ruel is wearing? Why is he in this garb? Or why is he, is he attired this way? Well, as you listen, you will find out why. You will find out why. Right? So, you are compromised. Now, I want you to turn with me to Revelation. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And we are going to be reading from verses 12 all the way to 17, Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 through 17, alright, and I am going to be reading from the New Living Translation for most of you who may be using the good old King James, you can also read along, I just like this version a little better um, for this particular message, alright, good, so let's begin by reading. Verse 12, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum, which is also Pergamos as well. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antiphas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have shown the Nicolaitans among you Who follow the same teaching, repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give him, I will give some, sorry, of the manner that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So when you talk about compromise, there is a particular, there's a context that I want us to get, right? Um, so let's, let's take a look at that context, right? So whenever I talk about compromise is in this light. So there are different definitions, but I choose to use this one. So when we think of compromise, I think of it as being impaired or diminished in function, weakened, damaged, or flawed. Right? So that is the context in which we are going to be looking at this sermon today. Now, let's take a a, a brief historical look of Pergamos, right? So I know we had a little video before. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I'm just going to give you a brief overview of what the city of Pergamos stood for. So, Pergamos was strategically located along both land and sea routes, approximately 50 miles from Smyrna and 15 miles inland from the Aegean Sea, right? Now, that there is currently called modern Turkey. And it also was a hub for trade and commerce due to its strategic... um, It was a a hub for trade and commerce due to its strategic location. That that was omitted there. and, And they were tremendously wealthy, all right? So, they rose to prominence following the death of Alexander the Great. Of course, we know of him. If you have followed history, you would have known of Alexander the Great in 323 BC and was ruled by the Attalid kings. The transition, and I want you to pay attention to this because this is going to be very key as we continue to go along into into this uh, this message. The transition between the Greek Empire to the Roman Empire in 123 BC was peaceful. I Want you to pay attention to that because we're going to be coming back to that, right? And held um right, so it, it was one of the cities also that where the most important libraries was held, so they had a large collection of, of literature, and it, it rose to become one of the most prominent libraries in the world at that time. Now, when we go to we look at some other characteristics of Pergamos, we see faith and persecution at play, right? Of course, the believers at that time, they were under difficult circumstances and they held true to the faith, but we also realized that they were not perfect. Um, In terms of religion, it was the epicenter of all religious activities and it was also called the seat of Satan's throne. And that's important to know as well because when we go a little further, we realize that those temples were created or erected in dedication to four gods. One, Zeus, the god of war, Dionysus, god of fruitfulness, Athena, the goddess of heroic exploits, and Asclepius, the god of medicine. Right? Not sure if I pronounced it right, but we will go over that. So for those of you who, I'm not sure if you know of this particular book, but it's quite popular when it comes to military treaties and strategy and, strategy, strategy and tactical plans. And the, the book I'm talking about is The Art of War written by Sun Tzu, a Chinese philosopher and, and also a Chinese war war militant who wrote this book on the art of war. And it's quite interesting because whenever we think of military conquests, we always think of force, we think of bloodshed, lives being lost. But Sun Tzu took a different approach. He had a contrarian view. And that view was that you don't necessarily have to use force to win a war. You don't necessarily have to use weapons all the time to win a war. Wars can be won peacefully. And that's quite contrary to what we know happened during those times when the roman empire and even the the, the greek also ruled the world so there are some premises. you know i would like to highlight three premises that the book is based on one and we're going to be looking at that in some aspect as we go along in the message war should be avoided with diplomacy so that's the first premise war should be avoided with diplomacy. Premise number two, if war cannot be avoided, it must be fought strategically and psychologically to minimize damage and wasting of resources. And premise number three, strategies must be flexible because the battlefield is unpredictable. Captured troops and defeated soldiers should be treated with respect. Of course, when we look at our Bible, we find a similar view as well, where we in 2 Corinthians 10.4, that states the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now let's just put a little pin here. The we that is mentioned in the last verse is not necessarily us. That is really God or the Godhead itself being able to, do, to enact punishment. We as human beings will not be able to enact punishment. However... The first two verses are directly in relation to us because we are given the responsibility to take captive any thoughts that are, um, or to take captive of any thoughts that, that really do not align with what God's word says. And, and we have been given that, that responsibility. Now when it comes to military conquest, the church as we know it is the church militant. And we are in a war. We are in a war. We are in the last days as we know it according to prophecy and we are in a war. Now this is us and I want us to really pay attention because there are some things about Pergamos that we could take even in our time today and recognize the similarities of what affected Pergamos and what is affecting us the Seventh-day Adventist Church even today. Alright? So I want to go into the first part of knowing your enemy. Whenever you get into battle, the first thing that you need to know is to know your enemy. I don't think anyone who really wants to win a war will not first study their enemy and understand who they are up against. Right? I want to read an excerpt from The Art of War. Same book written by Sun Tzu. I will be pulling a few of these excerpts from time to time. The art of war is of vital importance. It is a matter of life and death. A road either to safety or ruin. All right. So when it comes to knowing your enemy, there are some things that we need to know. We are in a war. And Pergamos, they also too were in a war. Let's see how, let's see how well they did. <laughs> so when it comes to our enemy... There are some things that we need to know. The first thing is that the, our enemy has six thousand plus years of experience, and that's a that's a, a lot of experience. We are going up against someone who has been strategizing from since the creation of this world how to get at God's people. So make no mistake, he's not someone that you could play or trifle with. He has six thousand years of plus years of experience. And if we are going to battle against him, we need to understand that. This is someone who is well-versed in military conquest and warfare. Right? So, he's referred to Satan. That's our enemy. He's referred to as the ruler of this world. Right? We see where he tempted Jesus after his fast in the wilderness by offering him the world in exchange for worship. Now, when we think of our enemy... He's also a narcissist. Yes, I said that he is a narcissist. he's someone that thrives on false worship and that was very evident even from the foundation before the foundations of the world where in heaven he wanted to exalt his throne even above God and he would have convinced one-third of the angels that he deserved that position. and of course we all know what happened when him and his angels were cast out of Heaven. When we think of the Satan, he is the master of deception. Understand that he comes in the in the in the realm or the light of false teachings. And back even then, we recognize that Pergamos was affected because the false teachings found its way into the church and led them astray from God. Finally, when we think of our enemy. He is the leader of rebellion. When God gives certain commands and he says, do this, don't do that. And the church goes contrary to what he says. You are in opposition to Almighty God. And Satan loves that because he knows that the only way for him to claim some superficial victory is to get the church in open rebellion towards God's commands. So we we saw right there with Pogromos, there were sexual sins that were being committed and many other things, right? It was not listed there, but there were, there would have been other things that they would have been committing as well. And therefore, when we think of our enemy, that is the nature of who we are going up against. This is what he is. And therefore, understanding who we are fighting is vital. It's vital. It's, it's increasingly important because... It becomes now a matter of life and death. If you don't understand it, you will either you will you will end up in ruins. If you understand who you're fighting, we are on the side of safety. Point number two, know the agenda. If you are in military conquest, you're not just only studying the enemy, but you also want to know what the agenda is. And I want to quote another excerpt from the 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 um, the art of war. If you lay siege to a tongue, you will exhaust your strength in war. Then, let your great object be victory, and not lengthy campaigns. So, when it comes to knowing the agenda, there's a template. There's a template of how Satan would operate, and there are four key areas that I want to highlight right now. So that there are four areas. And this is the template that Satan would use over and over again. From time to time, he would change the strategy. Now, don't confuse the agenda and the strategy. They are different. There is there's an agenda and there is a tactical plan. And we're going to get to the tactical plan just now. So, when we deal with the agenda, what are we looking at? One satan comes in the form of counterfeit he's going to he's going to bring something that is counterfeit to what god is instructing his saints to do so that comes in the form of false teachings right so this is the counterfeit and pogromos was compromised right through some who carried the false teachings of balaam so that he starts off with counter with with a counterfeit measure now if that doesn't work he moves on to, he steps it up a little bit. So understand the agenda. This is a four-pronged agenda. He steps it up a bit to enticement. So if he can't get you with the counterfeit, he's going to entice you, right? Appealing to the five senses to lure the church into sin. And we see where Pergamos was enticed with food, offered to idols, and they were also involved in sexual sins. So that Satan understands the human body better than we do. He understands that we have five senses. And if we can't get here one way, we're going to get here another way. Now, if that does not work, he's going to do coercion. So understand, understand, the, 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 understand how it's gradually increasing. So we start off with being counterfeit. Then we move to enticement. If that doesn't work, we go on to coercion. And the Romans at that time understand that Pergamos was a very wealthy city. Rich in power, it was the hub for trade and commerce. Just imagine the difficult times that God's people would have been under. Just imagine if they were withheld or the, the, the wealth of that nation was withheld from God's people. Just, I just want you to picture that for a second. I want you to picture some of these persons as well, and we're going to go a little bit into that later, being persecuted physically. Just think about it. So if you can't get them to, 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 or the church, to abide by the, 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 the law, Satan now has to force you because he realized that he can't get you another way, so he's going to force you. He's going to try to get you to recant your beliefs. And if that doesn't work, he moves to death. That is the agenda. The saints of Pugamus lived in a dif- in difficult circumstances where they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. So that's the that's the, 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 the template when it comes to the agenda of Satan. So we understand what who our enemy is. He has all these years of experience. He's the father of lies, he's the, he is he is the leader of rebellion. And then we come down to his agenda and we understand why and how he plans to execute. There is a four-pronged phase and he is executing that at different stages. Now let's know the tactics. This is the third point. Let's come to the tactics. And this is where we're going to really get real because we have to now look at ourselves. This is us. And I want to quote another excerpt from the art of war to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting understand satan is he is wise of course not wiser than god but he is wise he is wise enough to know that every time the church has faced persecution the church gets stronger he said, well, okay. Since I've persecuted so many of you and, and no matter what I do, I've tried to, to, to use force to get you to abide by my way. And it's not working. The church actually becomes stronger. He decides now, if I can't beat you all one way, I'm going to join you. And this is where the real problems start to exist. Now, When we come to tactics, there are four things that we need to pay attention to. Understand, we are in a war. This is an art. We are not just going about vikey vike trying to fight this, this person that we call Satan. He's our enemy and we have to have a strategy, a tactical plan for beating him. Now, understand, this is his plan. I'm going to reveal what he would do, right? And we could use the same plan in reverse to counteract them. Now, the first one is the use of spies. Right? Use of spies. And we see that the, the, the Nicolaitans were They infiltrated Pergamos with false teachings similar to that of Balaam. Right? So that the, the, you, you ask yourself if Pergamos kept the faith. If they were so keen on speaking out and holding up, God commends them. This is a message of, from Jesus Christ Himself. This is not John. John may have wrote it, right? May, John may have wrote it, but this is not, this is a message from Jesus Christ Himself. And He is, and he is speaking directly to Pergamos. He is telling Pugimus, he said, He said, Hey, I like you, you know. I really like you because you're speaking the right way. But when we start to examine, examine yourself, check yourself. Because when when you look at yourself, you realize that there are some things that are not right. So the use of spies. Now this is us. Right now in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you know that there are people that all of Israel is not of Israel? There are some people here planted by the devil to ensure... That we don't achieve our purpose. They are here just monitoring, looking at what our plans are. And they are feeding information to someone else. It's not conspiracy. You, they come in little groups. And sometimes they try to pull members aside and tell them, well, you hear what the pastor say? Mean like that. You hear what the elder say? And in and, and little pockets, they start stirring up little confusion here. Watch it, brethren. This is us. This is not. I'm not talking about another denomination. I'm talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There are spies. There are people right inside of here who are looking at what we are doing, and they are they are feeding back information to another external party, in, 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 with the idea or the general agenda of breaking down God's church. Be very careful when it comes to divided energies. That's the second point. And I want you to understand the tactics. A church that is united cannot be beaten. A church that is united cannot be beaten. So what do you do? You get inside the church and you start spreading heresy in little pockets. And then people start to become divided. One of the things that, and, and this is just a personal belief. I, I, I think one of the things that has been a strength for the church is that we are a multifaceted church. But at the same time, that has also worked towards our own demise as well. So we have many different, we have different departments. Uh, personal ministries and Sabbath school. And, but you know what? At some point, the church finds itself divided. Who feel that one department more important than the other, and we're not supporting AY because that is for young people, and we're not doing this and we're not doing that. So we 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 coming together under one under one church. We are surrounded by four walls, but we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet, and therefore that becomes a problem. If you go in any and when commands are given and and, and tactical um, plans are drafted and drawn up. And and the commander gives all the, 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 the list of things that need to be done. The last thing you want in that army is the front of the army doing one thing and the back doing another thing. Because you're compromised. You're going to be compromised if if one even if it's just one person doing something different. This is us. Understand the strengths. Anytime you're going up against an enemy, you're going to understand the strengths. What can they do well? Understand what do they do well? And the faith and the city of Pergamos, especially the saints, when you, looked, uh, when you look at that, those, those string of passages, you realize that they professed the name of Christ. They were very strong in doing that. They held fast to the faith. We have seen that in those verses, right? So their teachings in terms from a religious standpoint was quite solid. It's good to have them on on paper because that is what influences how the organization runs, how the organization should behave. Let's think of us as the Seventh-day Adventist church. We have What are some of our strong points? We have the 28 fundamental beliefs, right? Um... And that is, we, we, we know about the Trinity, we have our views about the Trinity, uh, the state of the dead. We have the gift of prophecy, we, 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 we claim that, we have, we have always been saying that we are the church with the gift of prophecy. And we have, by extension, a series of books and letters from Ellen G. White to guide the church. It's the lesser light, it's not greater than the Bible, but it's the lesser light pointing to the greater light, which is the Bible. We understand, and we, I'm sure many of us could pontificate about justification by faith. That is something that is still where the, the, the wider Christian community some are still struggling with that, with that, with that, and even within the church as well. Our church some are struggling with that, with that terminology, justification by faith, and faith and and and, and salvation by works. But we have a manual. We have an understanding. And we separate ourselves by thinking that we we have what we consider the truth. We know about the three angels message. That's a a message that is quite unique to the Seventh-day Adventist church. The three angels message. We have the sanctuary. Those are strong points. We understand about marriage and Sabbath and strong points. But here's where the real problem starts to unfold. What was Pergamos, Pergamos's problem? What were, they, 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 what were their problem? The church and Pergamos. What were, were the, or was the problem that would have allowed Pergamos to be compromised? Any organization, let me just put it this way. Any organization that is intent on achieving excellence. Any organization intent on achieving excellence. Must have some form of audit or regular audits over a period of time unfortunately the doors of Pogamas was left wide open and there were no checks and balances to ensure that the faith was upheld and that is where the problem lies with us notice i'm not talking about anybody else this is us so where have we where have we erred? where have we erred in terms of not keeping the checks and balances some years are are, are back maybe three four years are back for those of us who who well those of us who served as church clerks and sub school leaders you remember there was a time we had to clean up the records yeah we had to clean up the records because the record is saying x amount of persons but in reality when we start to do when we start doing an audit we realize that the majority of them persons that listed on the record don't leave the church already. How did we reach there? We have not been conducting regular audits. So people are coming, people coming into the church and we're not paying attention. We have one of the lowest retention rates because we, they're coming in, we're bringing in them by the droves, but they're going back out in the same speed because nobody's not checking to realize, wait a minute, this brother or sister ain't coming for a while. So years have gone unchecked and we have a record or records that state that we have x amount of people within the organization when in reality it probably not even half of that that's one two let's talk about wine in the bible some years back i remember the university of southern of the southern caribbean employing the services of a pastor from the african division um, in the realm of Old Testament um, hermeneutics, if to put, it, to put it in such a way, right? And one of the things from the ministerial department, they ran a series on wine in the Bible. Now you would be thinking, well, good old Sam the Adventist supposed to know that from our fundamental beliefs, that we are not supposed to be ingesting substances that would be harmful to our body. Yet... From the ministerial department, they saw so a need because we have allowed philosophy and science and historical artifacts to guide our thinking. And some members now pushing that, that narrative that a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of wine is good for the stomach seek. How did we get there? How did we move from not using? Any form of alcohol to just a little bit is for the stomach's sake. Some of the myths had to be denounced right inside the church from our very own because people had, they we were hell-bent on thinking that they needed just a little bit for the stomach's sake. This is us. I'm being real. This is us. We still have problems as I mentioned about science and philosophy. If some things do song, we, we, we now start to pit the Bible against science. So whatever we whatever matches up with our thinking and our philosophy, and if it, if the Bible matches up with it, then we're good. But if it doesn't, well I have a problem with that. Is that what the Bible really or, or I think well maybe the Bible get it wrong somewhere? So instead of the Bible informing science, we have now allowed science and philosophy to inform the Bible. We put in the cart before the horse. When it comes to the ordination of women, we saw an entire conference divided, not here, but in, in North America, divided because some people just feel that, you know what, no matter what, woman, right, and it was clearly articulated from the general conference in cases where you have men who are unable to carry on or step up to the functions you have to ordain a woman to carry the work must continue and yet we have issues right in the church Are not going to come to church i remember a few brothers and sisters our brothers saying i ain't going to that church if they ordain any woman well i said well okay they're not going to ordain you don't want a woman ordained so where does Ellen White fit within your understanding in terms of accepting counsel? And then you would recognize that they have problems with that too. So that it is more, it, it, we have not learned to, to appreciate each other. And there are, there are still challenges within our congregation, within our families. There are challenges. When we talk about weak points, there's sexual sin. There's divorce. Let's not pretend. We have, we have families struggling within the church. They may not say anything. But families who are who are bitter, for, husband and wife, bitter towards each other. Contentions, favoritism in the church, unforgiveness. Somebody says something to you, and you just feel that you have to hold them in your craw for the for, for, for as long as you could hold them because you know what? You do me something that is so unforgivable. This is us. And that is why when, when, when we leave the doors open and we don't have regular audits, checks and balances, we find certain things creeping inside the church. And when they creep, the army of God is compromised. And that is what happened to Pergamos. They were all about preaching the word of God. They were very good about that. They, 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 they knew, they had nicely worded uh, manuals and, and operational procedures. But when the audits were done, you recognize that they were wanting. But I want to offer you another perspective. There is hope. There is hope. Thank you, Jesus. There is hope. There is hope for us. Because as we come to the end of those verses... And we see where, we see three things being highlighted. Any war that you plan to engage in must have some form of reward. You're not going to engage in war if there is no reward. Back then, in those, those times of old, when they conquered, they took the land and they took all the wealth and the resources. But in our war, which is not a carnal war, our war, we would be receiving As our reward, hidden manna, a white stone, and a new name. Oh yes, my brothers and sisters, there is hope. I want to leave with you today that in times of hardship, God will take care of your physical needs. It's okay to stand for Jesus. It's okay. You might think that you have to sell out or you have to choose the popular opinion, but no, you hold fast to what you believe. And if you think by holding fast that because you're going to face hardships that God will abandon you, no, he will take care of you. True repentance. God offers us a mechanism, a way of escape. True repentance. The stain of sin is removed. So if your stone was black, it can now become white. And then you have the opportunity to become one with Christ. You are no longer, I am no longer Ruel the sinner, I am an overcomer. Thank you, Jesus. I am no longer rule the sinner, but I am an overcomer. I've become one with Christ, and therefore I can receive the promise of eternal life once I remain in Him. So let's wrap up, let's wrap this up, and we're going to start doing a little comparison. What are we expected to do in this war? Fear that we are faced with. On one hand, as Christians, we are asked to hold fast to the truth of God's word. And that, that is in contrast to Satan's lies and deceptions. We are asked or encouraged to have constant communication with God through prayer. And that is in contrast to Satan's enticements. He's going to entice us. And whenever you're enticed, pray like crazy. Pray. Pray. If you were praying once a day, pray two and three times a day because now you have been faced, you have been tested. Pray even more. And then we are asked or encouraged to seek guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit. Because when you are oppressed, you are thinking, where else do I turn to? But the Holy Spirit is the one who will guide you even amidst your oppression. Are you faced with some challenge in your home, in your job, or even in the church? Are you faced with that? Are you wondering how you're going to fight the enemy? Well, you now have a plan. You now know what you need to do. You now know who he is. What his agenda is. And the tactics that he would use. The best way is to avoid him like a plague. Just avoid him as best as possible. But while we do that. We want to pray. Seek God's face. And ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit. I want to share this with you because from the pen of inspiration we have been encouraged that the church militant as feeble and as fee- and as feeble as it may appear in the eyes of many would eventually become triumphant hallelujah so the church which is now militant and which appears feeble in the eyes of many will become m- victorious and triumphant As I close, I want to engage you in singing a song. Of course, the video will be played. So we are going to sing a song, Onward Christian Soldiers. Because once we know what we have been given the plan, we have seen all what is before us. We now have to march forward. We can't be marking time. The time for marking time is over. And now we must march forward. We must march forward, ready to face the enemy. Onward, Christian soldiers. Marching as to war with the cross of Jesus. And as we sing it in your homes, sing it lustily. Feel the song. And pray and encourage the Holy Spirit to fill your hearts with that passion for the Word, as we engage in warfare. And as we finish doing that, I'll meet with you again and we would have our final word of prayer. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, my brothers and sisters. We are called to fight, but not the way the world fights, but the way that God will have us to. I want to engage you in prayer at this time. Wherever you are, we have been called. We have been called to enlist in god's royal army that is a wonderful privilege a privilege that and of, of high honor one that comes with a badge that cannot be bought with money as we pray let us lift our hearts up to god asking for forgiveness of the sins that we have committed And reaffirming our faith and our enlistment in his army. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so gracious to you for having mercy on us. We have proclaimed your name. And yet, Lord, we have allowed the checks and balances to go wanting. Forgive us, Lord where we have been careless and not paying attention help us now as we move forward to pay attention to those areas in which could compromise us as a church and as your people we lift up each and every person on this stream lord you know us by name You understand the challenges that we are going to face. The ones that we currently face. You understand more than we do the enemy. And you have given us support. We don't have to fight this battle alone. We have someone that we can tag on our side. That's the man called Christ Jesus himself. Lord, as we call upon his name. We ask that he be ever present within our churches. And as we march forward as an army that we would fight the good fight. That he would be our shield. He would be our armor. He would be our sword. Dividing all the falsehoods and imparting truth where needed. Lord, thank you for showing us who we are. We look at Pergamos and we see ourselves replicated even today. And as we continue to march forward until that day when you shall return, keep us faithful. Help us to be ready. Help us to be ever watchful, paying attention to the things, the little things that can compromise us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the grapevine we thank you for all that you are doing in your church and with your people and what you will continue to achieve this is my prayer